If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, got another BGDL Community Spotlight episode. Today, we're talking about business plans. What does it look like to create a business plan? What goes into that? What are the variables you need to be aware of? What are the numbers and and just the different things you need to be thinking about if you're going to do a Kickstarter campaign or if you want to start your own publishing company? You got to have a good plan in place Failing to plan is planning to fail. So I have heard, uh, I feel like an old football coach used to say that. But anyway, we're talking to Jasper Birch from Pine Island Games. Jasper, welcome to the show. Great great to be here, Gabe. Um, and I know I mentioned it offline, uh, but just on the record, I want to iterate again uh, just how awesome what you've done for the community is and the community that you've built and how empowering it is for aspiring designers of all levels, whatever their interest is in design and publishing. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you you saying that. It was the goal several years ago when I started the Facebook community, started the podcast, started all these different things. That was the goal is to create a place where people can come in with ideas that is just an encouraging, optimistic place to go where you can learn how to design games, how to publish games, how to go to Kickstarter, all those different things that are involved. And uh, so I appreciate that. It really makes me feel good to to hear that we're hitting the goal. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not perfect and, you know, there's mistakes and, and different things that happen. But for the most part, I, you know, it's been crazy to see the growth. I mean, we're at right at 11,000 members in the Facebook community at this it's point. It's amazing. Well, yeah, it blows my mind. And anyway, so I really appreciate you and so many others being part of the community and contributing. Like I was telling you before we hit record, you've got an amazing blog over at Pine Island Games. Is it pineislandgames.com? Is that the yeah. URL? Yeah, you've been putting out some really great game design content lately. So I definitely recommend anybody listening to this, check that out. And I'll put a, a link to it. On the on the website in the show notes, but uh, yeah, man, really glad that that you're here. And let's uh, well, let's just hop right into the the show. Well, I guess actually, before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Great. Um, so I'm Jasper. Um, I think my story, my journey into game design. Uh, I've always had that sort of creative itch, and I've always been a gamer. And that creative drive has expressed itself in a number of ways. Um, I tried, you know, I wrote a novel that never got published. I designed a bunch of games that weren't very good. Um, and then in, uh, 2020, I designed a game that was actually like really fun. Um, and from that, it just sort of spurred my interest, um, to publish it seriously and approach it seriously. And, um, you know, I was looking, I was pretty discontent in the field that I was in and a natural opportunity presented itself, um, you know, to transition into trying to publish games. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can 
make it happen, make a living out of it eventually, and uh, and brings a little bit of joy to the world. Very cool. And I hope it works out. You know, uh, it's, it's one of those things, it's not for everybody and it's definitely not easy, but if you're willing to put in the work and do the research and put in the time, some really cool things can happen. And uh, I wish you the best in all of those, those things. And again, with your blog, I appreciate you kind of documenting things and, and doing deep dives into various aspects of designing and publishing to uh, help the rest of us. You know, that's, that's been my goal is just to kind of help other people that are, are looking for that information and you're doing the same thing. So I appreciate that. And that's actually why we're here. You sent me a, um, an email. You filled out the, uh, the online form for a spotlight episode. And you said, hey, we need to talk about business plans. And it's like, you know what? We do. Because that's something a lot of people don't understand. They they have these ideas, these dreams of going to crowdfunding, making a million dollars, you know, publishing their games, you know, having 100,000 copies of their game out in the world. But it really yeah. needs to start with a plan. And so let's get a good working definition. When you say business plan, what does that mean? What are we really talking about in this episode? Yeah, so there's a whole lot of ways um, that you can think of business plans, right? So um, it could be sort of like your plan of how you're going to structure your company growth and go to market and raise funds. It all depends on sort of the industry and, and what you're interested in. In this context, um, what I'm thinking about specifically is having a plan um, and budgeting for a plan to bring one project to market. And the impetus for it came came about because, you know, if you go on the forums, a lot of times people will come on and they'll say, hey, how much does it, how much does artwork cost for a game? And the question, the answer is like, it depends. Like there's a huge range and a huge range of factors to determine how much you're going to spend on artwork. And part of that is how you have planned to bring your game to market and what your budget is. And that will inform sort of every decision that you make down the line. You know, whether you pay to get uh, GIFs made of uh, how your game plays, whether you pay for Facebook advertising, whether you pay for review campaigns, whether you're getting your copies professionally made or, um, or doing them on your own. And all of this sort of goes back to having an overall understanding of what your plan for your project is and what resources you have to put into it combined with what the expertise that you have that you can do on your own. And I think that understanding or trying to understand sort of the different ways that you can bring your project to life um, will make it a lot easier and a lot less scary, um, less intimidating to formulate a plan and, and act on it. And, and hopefully, you know, whether you're a small budget game or hundreds of thousands of dollars, super big budget game, hopefully be able to, make money off it and understand how you can make a little bit of money off it, or at least not lose a lot of money. Uh, and so that's where it came about um, is sort of like my background is in finance. I spent a decade and a half um, on wall street, picking apart company business models to understand how they work and what drives them and sort of what the variable costs are and the fixed costs and, and their, what they're leveraged to and what the risks are and sensitivities are around them. Um, so I think I, you know, even though my experience in, in game publishing, you know, we're still growing and we're a young company. Uh, I think I have a pretty good grasp on understanding companies and what drives companies to be able to hopefully help some other people along understand these things so that they can better plan their projects. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I found in my own life, my own business is the more I plan the more flexible I can be, 
the, the easier it is for me to come up with solutions to problems that are always going to pop up. Uh, a recent example is I was working on a, on a game and I was working with an artist who's one of my favorite artists. He's a guy that's helped me with so many projects. And unfortunately, his mom passed away. And so he had to take some time off and he was just not in a good headspace. You know, his production obviously went down, you know, he, mm-hmm. even after the funeral, even after he was still dealing with stuff and he had a lot on his plate, a lot going on. And I went to him, I said, Hey man, don't, don't worry about it. I've got these other artists in my back pocket that I can go to them. Their style is, is pretty close to yours. We can, we can make it all work. You're fine. Take, take your time, take some time off, man. I'm still going to hit these deadlines. I'm still going to get the files to the manufacturer. We're going to be fine. But it was because I had planned ahead and already had other artists that I, that I knew that I already contacted them. I was already, you know, trying to figure things out for maybe other projects. Like, no, 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 let me just switch gears. You do what you need to do. You take care of your family. I'm going to go over here and we're all going to be fine. You let me know when you're ready to come back to work. And it was fine because there was planning ahead of time. It wasn't like, oh no, now I'm, I got to scramble and I got to go on Google and art station and find artists. Like, no, no, no. Everything is already planned. When problems come up, I've got solutions because we're good to go. And so I think that's part of it is being able to overcome obstacles easier when they, when they pop up and they're going to pop up. But then also it's a preventing you from blowing your entire budget on things because you, you didn't carry the zero or you didn't carry the number, you know, you didn't carry the one, whatever, and you screwed up where, you know, you thought you were gonna have this amount of money and then you ended up spending way more than you meant to. And if you don't have a plan, that's going to happen almost guaranteed. And so, but let's, let's talk about why. So you've looked into companies that aren't just in board, the board game space. You've seen you know, major, major yeah. companies. Give me the why. Like, give me the, the real quick why someone should actually care about this, why they should actually take the time, take the effort, maybe spend some money if they need to, and put together a plan ahead of time as opposed to just figuring it out as they go. Give me the why. Yeah, so I think that there's a couple of, um, of ways that you can approach, can approach it and, and understand why. One of them is, as you just talked about, having a plan. You know, you have contingencies in place. I think no matter what, there are going to be things that come up that you're going to have to scramble and figure out on the fly and make work. Um, that's just the nature of, you know, taking on a task or an endeavor that you aren't, you know, that isn't rote for you. Um, but the more that you understand and the more that you have things planned out, it gives you sort of the 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 rails within you can within which you can operate and you understand that you can operate. Um, and it's also freeing, right? Because um, it, it allows you to be a lot more creative if you actually understand where your money is going and why, right? Like if you're, I mean, it, it comes back to, you know, uh, we were talking offline, but right. It comes back to, you know, if you, how do you know what to price your game at? If you don't know how much it's going to cost to get it to people, right? It's, it's impossible. And uh, it can be really easy if you don't try and understand everything around something. It can be really easy to, I mean, screw yourself over and screw the people who are betting on you over. Um, And I don't think any of us want to do that. So I think, I mean, the biggest reason is it's how you create something great um, is by understanding the inputs into it. Um, And it's also how you protect yourself and protect your customers. Um, right in that you can get them the product that you promised them um, and a product that you can be proud of, but you can only do that if you understand, you know, how it is that you're doing it and all of the steps along the way. Right. And it also gives us a framework, right? So let's say that you are querying manufacturers for the price of your game and you get a whole bunch of different ranges, right? You get, you know, someone's at $7, someone's at $8 you have someone come in at, you know, $5, right? That'd be awesome. 
Um, but without understanding why something it might be cheaper on paper without understanding like what the difference is and, and understanding sort of the understanding the problem, you can't know whether that, that one manufacturer that's coming in at $5, you can't understand why they're coming in at that level, unless you've done the research around how much it costs to manufacture this game and how much it should cost and what sort of components you can, you can expect at a given price point. So, so you're protecting yourself and you're allowing yourself to create something great. Um, I think that's, that's sort of the long short of it. <laughs> like, um, it just, to me, it just seems like a necessity. Um, but I know that it's something that can be hard for people to, to think through, even if, if they also understand that it's probably important. So I'm hoping that, you know, through this conversation, we can sort of give some framework so other people can, can formulate the plans around sort of their projects. Right. And I don't think we're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we're talking about having to come up with some 50 page long, you know, spreadsheet of all the different facts and all the different data points and all the different things. Like it could be on a napkin, but at least have something, at least have some ideas about where you're going and what you're going to do and how you're going to pay for it and what the costs are going to be and, and the profit and loss and all. At least have something because I feel like a lot of times people can get trapped by creating things that look really good but aren't actually useful. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like when you you haven't really even started your business, but you go out and you, you buy a thousand business cards. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, you don't, you don't even have a business yet and you're buying business. Like, don't, don't worry about that. Like, have a plan first. <laughs> but, yep. you know, even just come up with something. And so let's, let's get into that. What are the somethings, right? What are the things that people need to be thinking about, being aware of? Like, let's break it down. Yeah, so um, – the there's four sort of big expenses when you're bringing game to market. Um, the first is in development. Um, so that's going to be your illustration, your graphic design, sort of all the ancillary development costs. And that can even be, you know, the, the hexes that you order off of game crafter to put your game on all, all the development costs is sort of how I like thinking about sort of what it takes to get your game to a place where you can start marketing it. Um, the next big expense is the marketing expense. Um, so you can spend $100 on marketing to have a, a web domain, um, or you can spend $200,000 on marketing. Um, and you've had other people on the podcast before, um, Andrew Lowen, right, um, who can give people much better idea over what a smart way to spend your marketing budget is, but you do need to have a marketing budget. Um, those are what I like to think about the sort of two market expense, and especially because I think... Uh, myself and most of the listeners are um, planning on kickstarting their game or crowdfunding their game. Uh, th- these are going to be your sort of two market expenses. If you're a larger, um, you know, if you're a larger publisher, if you're a Stonemeyer, then you'll also be funding sort of through the production and have a lot more sort of two market expenses. But for our purposes, let's just talk about like through your crowdfunding event, these are your two market expenses. Then after you have your pre-sale event, you're going to have uh, your production costs is your next large expense, and then your fulfillment and distribution costs. Um, so that's your freight and your fulfillment center fees and your actual shipping and your tariffs and all that. So if you think about it in these sort of like four buckets, and then there's two different buckets. So um, the way that I like to think about it personally is that your two market expenses now, they aren't entirely sort of fixed, right? Because you could be going through your campaign and realize that your Facebook ads are hitting really well and they're bringing in more money than you're spending. So you can increase that, right? So it's not entirely that these are like your fixed costs, but 
for most intents and purposes, this is like your fixed cost that when you're at the beginning of your project, you need to figure out, you know, I have $10,000 that I'm going to be spending on my development and my marketing to bring my game to market. Now, for some people, it could be $30,000. For some people, it could be $2,000. Um, and then your production and your fulfillment costs, right? Your sort of, these are sort of your variable costs um, in the model. This is how you figure out um, how you have to price your game and what your per unit variable profit is. And once you have that, um, you can figure out essentially giving your budget and you know, how you're pricing your game. And we can put um, sort of a little, uh, I, I made a little online model that's super, super simple um, where you can sort of toy around with these numbers. Um, but you can figure out what, what your break-even point is, which is how many games you have to sell in order to break even. And I think this is a really nice way to sort of think about your project because if you're investing, let's say, $20,000 into a project and you know, let's say your per unit margin is like 14 bucks, you can figure out, I have to sell this many games in order to break even. And I think that's really empowering because it gives you firm numbers to sort of work with and work around and formulate your strategy over. And it lets you, and it tells you whether you're spending your money intelligently or not and your time intelligently or not. Um, and it also though, you know, this is just for this one project and you know, let's say you do break even or you make a little bit of money. That doesn't mean that you can't make more money on the game later, that you can't then, you know, roll whatever revenue off Kickstarter you got into extra units to sell into retail or do sort of another event late crowdfunding event later or something else. But it at least gives you this benchmark that you're like, I need to sell this many games to break even. And I, I mean, I think it allows you to plan your whole project around that. Um, and it also tells you, you know, gives you a sensitivity, right? Like if you you know, if you think freight is going to be about $2 um, because it was, you know, for this size game historically, and then freight goes up to, you know, $3, you can just put that in your model and it'll, you know, feed all the way through. And you can see how it impacts your margin, how healthy your margin is, what sort of the risk to your whole business model and plan is, um, and sort of how much trouble you're in if things fall short. Um yeah, so that, that's how I like to think about the, the two major buckets and like the four sub buckets, but I'm happy to go into sort of more detail or talk about some actual um, games where the publishers have, have shared their numbers so we can break it down a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that here in just a second. Before we get into that, one thing I really want to highlight for people listening is to understand the actual cost of printing one copy of your game. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times you reach out to a manufacturer and you say, hey, I want to print 2,000 copies of the game. And they come back and they say, hey, it's going to be 10 bucks per copy. You're like, cool, $20,000. Let me go to Kickstarter. Let me raise 20 grand. So, well, that's just printing the game. And so you can't necessarily price it only on that because there's, there's a whole lot more to it. Because let's say the uh, graphic design and the art costs are going to be $20,000 as well. Well, well, that adds $10 per copy. So now your game costs $20 per copy to actually bring it to market. But then you have fulfillment costs. Then you have customs and you have the shipping and you have to pay all these different uh, companies along the supply chain to get the games where they need to go. And then you've got commission control. I mean, there's so many other costs yeah. that you need to factor in 
for that first print run. Now, if you do future print runs, well, that art's already paid for. The graphic design is paid for. A lot of the other costs, you know, customs, things like that, you're going to pay again. But that's a massive cost as far as art and graphic design. It's already taken care of for your next print run. <laughs> but don't act like that's already taken care of for your yeah. first print run. So just being aware of the actual cost per unit and then pricing it accordingly. And so being smart about that, but also pricing it in a way that people are going to buy it. You know, if and, and just being upfront and honest about, well, hey, maybe... Maybe it's not the time to do this project. Maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I need to postpone this, do some other things, build up some more resources, build up some more capital, be able to print 5,000 copies of the game instead of 2,000. That lowers my per unit cost. But again, these are conversations you need to be having with the people on your team or the people that you're working with for manufacturing and fulfillment and all that. So I just wanted to point that out. You have any thoughts that kind of go along with that? And even sort of, I think that you make a really good point. And I think that it's easy to miss a little bit of the nuance in what you're saying. So... Um, there's two sort of strategies, uh, that you see games come to Kickstarter in. Um, one of them is you have games that are fully developed before they hit Kickstarter, right? And the only thing that the Kickstarter is paying for is maybe a little bit of rules editing, maybe a little bit of graphic design, maybe a little bit of like stretch goals, right? So they hit a stretch goal and they need to pay for a box insert or something, but for, but for the most part, the game is completely there. The illustration has all been commissioned and paid for and all, all of the major pre-production expenses have been paid for. Then you have other games that are using some of the Kickstarter revenue to fund the development. So sometimes this is the super large, um, the super large sort of mega projects, right? So Frosthaven, right? After Frosthaven funded Isaac Childress, like, they made a whole lot of extra content for the game, right? A huge bulk of content for the game and missions and a whole team of people working on it. Um, I'm sure Cephalovore had money that they could have paid to do a lot of this, but a lot of it came after the project funded and they had a pretty good idea, right? So either way though, you do need to understand sort of what those expenses are. And I do think that it's a little bit more nuanced because if you're funding all of that upfront, then yes, when you're planning your business model and deciding how much you're going to put into the game and how much you can spend on the game and what your break even is, that all matters for all of that. But that's also all a sunk cost, right? So even if, so like regardless of what you're spreading that over, you already spent that money anyway. So I don't think that for the most part, and I also don't think that consumers will bear sort of capitalizing that into the cost of a game, right? Because consumers are used to buying these games that have sort of very large distribution where those upfront costs is spread so thinly. So I think it's challenging as creators to try and capitalize that upfront cost into the cost of our Kickstarter. And I think it's much more likely that we just need to understand ourselves sort of how that ties into them and sort of how many games we have to sell so that, you know, we have spread it out thin enough that it's palatable and so that we still have a profit margin at the end of the day. Um, but I think that's, I mean, a really good point, thinking about these sunk costs and sort of how you need to think about your game is priced and what your margins are so that you can recoup all of the sort of time and money that you did put into the project. Um, and I mean, here's an example. So um, Fort Circle Games, this is one of the things, companies I was going to talk about later. Um, they shared their economics for a game called Shores of Tripoli. So their their expenses um, were they put about a little over thirty thousand dollars into developing this game, 
right? Including the art and design and the marketing expense. Then their per unit expenses for the game, um, they had their designer royalty, which was like three bucks. The game cost about $9 to manufacture and a little under $2 to freight, right? So you can take that for, to sort of see, you know, they had about $11 landed costs, which sort of tells you they sold the game, their, the, the, uh, the MSRP, what they sold it for was, was $50. So that sort of makes sense that that's sort of capitalized in it. And you can bet your bottom dollar that they were banking on selling enough games to make up for that $32,000 that they initially invested rather than increasing the MSRP to 50 or $60 to hope that, you know, people would understand that they need to recoup this, this loss because I don't think that consumers are going to sort of pay a lot more than what they're used to paying for a game. And you're competing with these companies that are capitalizing the expenses over a ton of games. Right. You definitely have to be aware of those things, especially when it comes to Kickstarter, because Kickstarter backers are coming to Kickstarter for a deal. If this is a $50 mm-hmm. game, they want to spend 35 And so you have to really think through, okay, what is the market going to bear with this? And then I think also you got to be smart on the number of copies that you were, you're going to print because it could be real easy to go, okay, I sold 2,000 copies on Kickstarter. Let me print 5,000 copies. And then that's going to, you know, water down the cost as far as art and everything's like that. That's going to minimize things per unit. Yeah. But then you got 3000 extra copies you got to sell. And what are you going to do? Like, again, as far as business plan, and that's one thing I wrote down. I really want to make sure we, we highlight here is have a post campaign plan as far as like, where are you, you going to do with these games? Cause if you're new to the industry, you're not getting into distribution unless you have just some, some kind of crazy campaign that is obviously wanted by a ton of people. Distributors are not going to work with you. They have enough companies already that they're, they're working with. They don't need one more. And you're just one very, very small fish in a very, very large ocean. And so what are you going to do with those extra games? Now there's companies like cool stuff Inc that have a consignment program mm-hmm. where you ship them a bunch of games and then they put it up on their website and they get a little you know, piece of every game that gets sold, but then you're also paying them storage fees. And so every month you have to pay them a certain fee for the games to be in their warehouse. And so you want to make sure you're moving the games pretty quickly. Otherwise, you know, eventually you could end up not making any money because you're paying so much in storage fees. And so yeah. again, something to just have as part of your plan overall, what are you going to do with these games? Because maybe instead of printing 5,000, maybe you only print 3,000 and you just try to sell 1,000 and, and don't end up with some massive number that sit in a warehouse somewhere that you're paying extra for that eventually you just have to consolidate and get rid of for five bucks a copy or something like that just because you're trying to get out from underneath the inventory. But anyway, what what are your thoughts? What are your what are, what are some things you've read or seen other companies do as far as that plan post campaign to get rid of the games? I mean, I think it's I, I think that that's a great point, right? If you have I think it also varies, right? Because there are some people who print their companies that print their games to be pretty close to sort of the actual games that they sold, right? And that is a completely valid business model, especially when your funding or your revenues is episodic, right? You're doing a project, you're you're funding it, and then you might have, you know, a couple hundred games left over out of, you know, 2,000 that you printed, which isn't that big a deal. But then again, you do have other companies where you can't just view this as an episodic funding event. This is a way to bring your game into normal distribution channels. And in that sense, you then have to keep on selling it. Um, and I think personally, um, that that selling should probably start before your Kickstarter even launches, um, you know, retailer pledges, um, but also marketing to hobby stores, um, you know, doing playtest sessions for hobby stores, um, providing 
Um, you know, if you buy a case providing marketing materials and teaching materials so the hobby stores can sell your games after the fact. Um, and having a plan for how you want to go to market, um, you know, getting into conventions, continuing, you know, continuing some sort of ad campaign. I, I don't necessarily know if it would be direct digital marketing, but, you know, some sort of continuing review campaign after the fact, um, incentivizing uh, your backers who get fulfilled to share pictures of them playing on social media, you know, stay engaged with the community, have a plan for all of this, right? Because it's easy to think about your marketing up until you get this big injection of revenue. Um, and then, oh, now the games are going to be in the wild and they're just going to be successful on their own. But you you don't know that, right? And And you, I think I completely agree with you that regardless of how many games you decide to print, you need to have a plan for how you're going to move those games after your games start getting fulfilled. Um, and that can be, you know, going to conventions that can be partnering with someone like Matt Holden at Indie Game Alliance so that they're on their website. That can be something like Cool Stuff Inc. That can be, you know, something like doing a tour of local retail stores and playtesting your game there. Um, but you do need something. And especially for people who want to make this um, a career um, as opposed to sort of like an episodic side hustle. I think that you have to have a pretty well-structured plan or at least an idea of what your plan is um, as you move forward. And I also think it's worth noting that a great way to do that, um, that I've seen a couple that, I mean, we've seen a number of companies do is to have consistent releases because if you have consistent releases, Every time you're releasing a new game and marketing a new game and you're spending money to raise awareness about a new game, that's also pointing people to your back catalog. And that's another opportunity for people to see the other games that you have um, that you might have in stock and maybe buy them. Um, so I think, you know, again, though, this it's all this. I think this is it goes back to sort of having a, the, at the very beginning. We were talking about having a larger business model. Um, and I think that sort of episodic release is a very viable, larger business model that can help sustain your back catalog rather than just relying on the episodic Kickstarter funding events. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen this a lot lately with, you, you can always tell uh, when a game has been pretty successful because a lot of times that company will do a follow-up Kickstarter like a month after mm -hmm. it delivers to backers. And so you're seeing this right now with Van Ryder Games and their game Final Girl, which is this solo game that did extraordinarily well on Kickstarter. It made somewhere around half a million dollars, tons of backers, yep. and it delivered. And then maybe a month or so, maybe six weeks later or something like that, uh, there's another campaign for the next, it's basically like, it's not a second edition. It's, it's all brand new entries into the Final Girl system. But you can mm -hmm. also buy the, the originals as well. And so you can have, you know, these big bundles and things like that. But they're riding the wave because right now there's a lot of reviewers. There's a lot of people talking about Final Girl Online. And it's like, well, let's go ahead and do a campaign for the next installment. People are already talking about it. And so, yeah, it's a really good point as far as having a plan of succession when uh, you're going to launch another campaign. And it makes a lot of sense to do a follow-up campaign if the campaign before it did really, really well. So things to think about. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's also like, it takes a lot of cash to manufacture in volume, right? And that's the whole, or one of the main reasons why we still have games on these crowdfunding platforms is because that is such a large cash outlay. Um, and 
unless you're a manufacturer or a publisher who's rolling over all of that cash into the next print run, which I, you know, I don't know for a lot of people, maybe you shouldn't. And for some companies, if it's in your plan, then you should, right. That's something that you need to think about what you're doing with the cash, the excess cash that you get in each crowdfunding event. But it makes sense that, you know, the second and the third print run, especially if a game is in huge demand, you're going to need to have another capital infusion. And, you know, if your game is in high demand, there's plenty of ways that you can get um, additional capital. Um, Kickstarter is one of the cheapest, the cheaper sources of capital, um, right? It's going to be a lot cheaper than a bank loan for, you know, any small company. Um, you know, you're paying, you know, 5% Kickstarter fee and 4% Stripe fee. Um, and it's not debt, which is awesome. And it's a pre-sale, which is awesome. So it's, you know, it's a very smart source of capital to, to fund additional print runs. Um, because also one of the things that you see, even for established companies, um, you'll see a game hit better than expected and you'll get, you know, months of the game being sold out. Um, and, you know, you'll see a spike in the sort of secondary market pricing. And I guarantee the producers of those games, they're scrambling to get all the cash together so they can fill that demand. Um, and so having a plan for, I think on both sides, one, you don't print enough extra games and um, you need to get the cash to sort of print the games to meet the demand that you need or, you know, be open to partnering with, um, you know, other publishers who will launch your game in, in markets that you're not an expert in. I think you need to plan for that. And you also need to plan for the contingency where, you know, you sell 5,000 games and you decide to print 8,000 and you can't sell the last 2,000. I think both of those, even if you don't write down, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, you should have at least thought through and looked at what other companies have done and have an idea of the options that are available to you as those events unfold. Yeah, absolutely. All right, looking back to any of the companies that you've researched, that you've studied, mm -hmm. anything else that you want to bring up that, that kind of comes to mind yeah. as, a, as something you want to highlight? I think the the most important takeaway um, that I've had um, as we've launched our company or as I've looked at different business models of what people have done is that regardless of what your budget is, you can have a business model and launch a game and have it be successful. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to call out another sort of designer who is very involved in the forums. Um, uh, ben Downton, um, I think a lot of people who are in in the forums know him. He, he designed Micro Dojo, um, and they did a Kickstarter, um, I think it was like a year ago now, um, where he raised uh, $23,000. So his two market expense to get the game made um, was $1,616. That is his design and his art and his marketing, his promotion. He spent $1,616 to bring that game to market. And, you know, he raised $23,000. Now, that's not the end of the story because, you know, there was $3,500 in fees. There was $3,000 in manufacture, over $7,000 in shipping. So at the end of the day, he walked away with um, like around $7,800 um, or like four bucks a game. 
and you spent a ton of time on it. So his hourly rate as an individual working on it, you know, wasn't super high. But my the point is, is that if you understand sort of what your budget is and where you can spend money and how you can spend it intelligently, you can create a successful project product and, a, and have a successful project. And that is awesome. And you're getting something out into the world. But you also have to have realistic expectations that if you're spending $1,000 on your illustration and your graphic design, it's not going to be, you aren't going to be able to design a game or bring a game to market that has 250 cards, each with their own illustration. You're not going to be able to get, um, you know, some like a, some of these games fully rendered illustration. Um, you're not going to have a budget for a huge marketing campaign. And so you, you can bring a great product to market um, and Ben created a great product, but you have to understand sort of like what the, what the constraints are that you are operating in based on the budget that you're allocating towards your project. And as importantly, your personal expertise, right? Because if you're a great graphic designer, then you can do a lot of the graphic design work and you don't have to outsource it. If you're a great marketer, you can do a lot of the marketing work and you don't have to outsource it. So it all comes, it all folds in on itself and and it, and you have to figure it out on your own and what works for your project. But if you understand, sort of look at other games and understand the expenses that went into them and can back into sort of what your finances is and what sort of financial commitment you need to bring your game to market, then you can create something great. And at the end of the day, um, if you don't have the money to bring your vision to life or you don't have the expertise to bring your vision to life, you know, that's fine. You can either wait until you have more capital resources. You can wait until you have more expertise or you can find the right people to partner with who can help bring your vision to life. But you can't do any of that until you understand what it is that you have and what it will cost you in terms of time and resources to bring it to where you want it to be. Um, and I think that that is kind of empowering. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said a little while ago, just have a plan, just come up with something. Again, it doesn't have to be the world's greatest business plan. You can have it on a napkin at the end of the day, but have something, do research, get out there and ask questions have as much data as you possibly can have going into it. That way your eyes can be wide open to what the actual costs are going to be, what the actual uh, expenses for each part of the supply chain, what the actual profits are going to be, what the actual margins are going to be. Again, you're never going to have perfect information. It's always going to change. There might be a global pandemic that screws up everything like that could happen. I guarantee the people who had plans for how they were operating their business going into the pandemic navigated the pandemic a heck of a lot better than people who were flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah, for sure. But Jasper, this has been excellent. Closing thoughts. What do you want to leave listeners with? Um, I think the beauty of the board game community um, and the board game design lab community as part of it uh, compared to a lot of other industries that I've seen and touched is how helpful everyone is and how hard everyone is rooting for each other to succeed and how open and free with information people are. Um, a lot of the information that I got to help make our business plan um, came from asking other publishers and asking other designers and being respectful and intelligent about it and doing as much research as I could ahead of time. But then if you go to someone 
right? If you go to an established publisher with a specific question about something that you don't understand that you've tried to figure out, so often they will want to help you and will go out of their way to be helpful to you. And I mean, it's, it's an incredible aspect of this community and this industry and take advantage of it. Like if you like, just take advantage of it, just, just ask for help if you need help and talk to people and interface with people and be a part of the community uh, because you'll learn more that way than you ever could in a million years on your own. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, hey, man, you've got some uh, interesting projects you're working on. Tell people about those and where they can find them. So our company is Pine Island Games. You can find us at pineislandgames.com. We have a blog there. I write one to two posts a week, usually two. um, And occasionally I do sort of really deep dives on topics that I'm really proud of. Uh, In terms of projects, our main project right now uh, is Nut Hunt. Uh, we're planning on bringing it to market. So the graphic design will be done in a couple of weeks and we're planning on bringing it to market sort of late, late spring, early summer to do a Kickstarter. And hopefully you'll see a lot more about that. And then what's really exciting uh, is we just last week agreed to terms to sign our first game by another designer. Um, so that contract is off with the lawyers right now. And I can't share too much about it until we actually have, you know, the ink on the paper um, but I'm really excited because we have Nut Hunt coming. And then after that, we have our next project, um, lined up. And I think that that makes us, you know, a games publisher, uh, instead of game singular. Um, so yeah, pineislandgames.com, uh, check out the blog, uh, check out Nut Hunt and say hi. Awesome. Well, Jasper, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with Nut Hunt and uh, all the other games you're cooking up now. You can sign other people and everything else you got going on right now. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Gabe. I appreciate uh, the time and the platform um, immensely. Um, And again, keep up the good work. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?